Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update, with Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. So, Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. You just told me that you only had, what is it, five hours of sun in December in Vilnius. So uh, That's right. I, I wish you a very sunny New Year. Thank you. Can you believe that it's nearly five years since we started this? I can't. I mean, really, we used to just, uh, I mean, I think we really just launched it with a few bits of chat and uh, wondered if we'd find anybody who would actually want to be interviewed by us. But now, now we've got loads of people lined up and we've got loads of topics that we need to cover. Yeah, we just never run out. There's always a running list of things that we still want to talk about of people that I a cost at conferences or just uh, running into them saying, you should be on the podcast, I really want to, and then, then never come back uh, to them. But um, sometimes I eventually do end up getting back to them. And, and those are some of the really nice shows we have. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've got uh, a long list of uh, things to do. But meanwhile, to kick off 2024, we thought we'd just cast ahead and think about what's coming up and the challenges we're going to be facing reporting on all of this and making sense of it via podcast. But um, just before we start off, we should mention right now, we'll mention it again at the end, we're going to invite the people who give us a bit of sponsorship on Patreon to join us online towards the end of the month. And we're going to ask them what they would like us to cover. Uh, the invites are going out just as we're putting this podcast uh, on the air. So if you would like to join and tell us what you'd like us to focus on and what you think that we're missing, uh, head on over to Patreon and sign up to uh, give us a cup of coffee every month and uh, get invited to, to that uh, meeting. But to kick off this year, uh, Janet has asked around for some contributors to ask a few questions to send us some voice notes about looking back at 2023 and what they expect that this year will be the big developments. Yeah, we asked a kind of a series of questions and different people answered different things. So we've just kind of taken a bit of selection. And the first one was um, the biggest development in international justice, international law in 2023. So start off with friend of the pod. And she also helps review the books over on our podcast on Patreon the War Criminals Book Club. That's Courthouse News reporter Molly Quell. I think the climate change cases, we saw um, a series of cases at the European Court of Human Rights regarding climate change. We saw the UN General Assembly request an advisory opinion about climate change from the International Court of Justice. We saw the advisory opinion move forward at the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea. I mean, I think that this is finally sort of becoming a big thing that is being um, kind of wound through the international court system. We will also also see um, uh, advisory opinion at the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. So I think that that was kind of the biggest change or shift that I think that I saw in 2023. As for positive developments, I think that we are going to continue to see more interest. It really felt like since um, the war in Ukraine began that people are much more kind of interested in what international justice has to offer and what avenues there are. It seems like these stories are getting a lot more traction, which is really nice to see. Mark Kirsten, a Canadian academic and also blogger at Justice and Conflict and also involved with the YAMO Foundation, uh, he also said that he likes looking at or he's looking at the increased role that the International Court of Justice has been playing. I believe that that's Steph's favourite court. 
I would never, I would never disavow the ICTY like that. Okay. <laughs> the ICJ is, although I, I follow a lot of ICJ cases, it has to be said. But uh, if, if we're playing favorites, uh, my heart is in uh, the former Yugoslavia, I have to say. Okay. Well, Mark was interested in how the ICJ's role is now panning out. Here we go. What was the biggest development in international law the last year? I think there were many, but as a kind of theme that I think cut across a lot of international law, or at least international justice developments, how people really rallied together to try to demolish double standards. Whether it's in Ukraine, Myanmar, Palestine, Afghanistan, uh, whether it's international criminal law, refugee law, or other forms of international law, basically around responsibility over harms committed against civilians, wherever they may be, I think there was a real co important constellation of actors who sought to address and point out double standards and say no more. And that leads me to positive developments that I think we'll see in 2024. I hope that continues and it actually bears fruit. I'm also really interested in 2024 to see how this maybe more recent development of the International Court of Justice taking on international criminal law issues in some ways, or at least international crimes issues, whether it be allegations of genocide in Myanmar or allegations of genocide by Israel uh, in Gaza, how it takes that on and how it shares the burden in addressing these international crimes with the International Criminal Court and what the relationship is over time in the next year and indeed uh, longer than that. And that's going to be really interesting to see this year as well, as he says, uh, there we're going to see more of the Court of Justice. There's big cases going on there. And also Liz Evanson, the uh, head of international justice at uh, Human Rights Watch, she has her take on what carries over from 2023 into this year. I guess where I wanted to start was to, to say that it clearly was an incredibly difficult year in 2023, as we saw either ongoing violence or uh, resumption of violence in a number of places, whether it was the Democratic Republic of Congo, ongoing conflict in Ukraine, the ongoing now hostilities uh, between Israel and Palestinian armed groups, um, and many other places where I think the, the level of violence and the um, commission of serious international crimes is, has been on such a scale that I think it's really reasonable to question, are we building the legal frameworks that we need, or rather are the legal frameworks we're building around justice and accountability for serious international crimes, are they helping? Um, are they helping to deter uh, human rights violations? Um, is there really a, a prospect um, of holding individuals to account and providing victims and survivors with justice. So I think it was, was you know, has been a very, a very tough time um, to see what's happening in the world and to be working in this space, trying to advance respect for the rule of law and accountability when that rule of law is violated. And yet um, seeing the, the, the violence that's happening at the same time. But at the same time, or, you know, in contrast to this at the same time, 
the past year really showed us also the importance of long-term investment in a system uh, for uh, justice for international crimes. Um, we've, we've seen so many positive developments. So even in this really difficult time um, of trying, uh, a difficult time of, of perhaps questioning what's the value of, of these legal frameworks, we do see that value. We've seen um, a continued increase in the number and types of cases brought under universal jurisdiction, including in the places where they've been brought. Um, and in order to get to those cases, there's you know, usually years and years and years of investment behind that, whether that's investment by authorities in building the right legal frameworks, in making sure there's the right uh, specialization and expertise among prosecuting and investigating um, authorities. Um, and also, of course, investment by, by victims groups that have continued to push to make sure that accountability um, in many different forms stayed uh, on the agenda. So I think in a way, uh, in the short term, the events of 2023 can, I think, cause a sense of real frustration with the state of the frameworks we've put in place. But taking a step back, the way I see it is actually it really just speaks to the importance um, of understanding that this is a long-term process to get to justice and that we have to continue to build the systems so that they are available uh, when the political will is there for them to be used independently and impartially. And we have to do everything we can to make that political moment for justice arrive as soon as it can. But it's not as if you can start an international justice process at the same time that um, abuses are occurring. You actually have to have started this system, you know, many, many years ago and, and hope that that system is then there and strong and available and there's political support um, to meet the moment. And I, and I think you can say the same thing. I see that with universal jurisdiction, but I think you can say the same thing as well about the International Criminal Court. It was the 25th anniversary of the court's treaty last year in 2023. Um, and it was a year in which there were uh, arrest warrants um, for uh, President uh, Putin of Russia, a year in which the uh, ICC's investigation in the situation of the state of Palestine um, had uh, kind of renewed importance, renewed attention. Um, the ICC also working in Democratic Republic of Congo. So all of these places where, where there is this, uh, where, art, where, where violence is happening, you have a, a court that is available to work. Of course, it has to be allowed to work. It, it has to have the resources. It has to have the political support. It has to have the cooperation. And so again, you loop back to, you know, do we, can we in any particular moment have the factors we need to, uh, give justice at least a better chance at succeeding. But I think it, it shows um, even if those factors aren't aligning exactly in the moment or if there is more work to do to make sure that, that the resources and political support are there, it's incredibly important that we have the Rome Statute, that we have the International Criminal Court, that it is there and that it is, um, you know, regrettably relevant in in many places where it has a mandate to act. So all of this, again, for me, is take, taking it back to what can we see, what we, should we expect in 2024? I think we have to just continue as advocates to insist on the 
the norms, insist on the laws being in place, insist on the systems being in place. Um, and that takes time and that doesn't, you know, start at a moment of crisis. You have to be building the system, you know, for many, many years. And it really is about building out that global um, system for the rule of law. And then when it is needed um, to mobilize the political consensus uh, around support for justice. So I, I think we we really just have to keep going, um, continuing to build the system and to then you know, see that it works um, where it's called upon to do so. And another journalist friend of ours, Leon Buanga, who does uh, justice reporting at Rappler in the Philippines, also got back to us with the biggest development, according to her, in 2023. So in 2023, the most positive development I would say that we saw from international justice in terms of the Philippines, of course, has been the continuing of the investigation um, into the Philippines. Um, and of course, around the world, the issuance of the arrest warrants against um, Putin has been, yeah, positive, positive for us too. And we asked Sharon Nakanda from Open Society Foundations about her impressions of last year. Hi, Asymmetrical Haircuts. Sharon here from Uganda. I'm glad to join this podcast, which covers some of my reflections on the international justice space in 2023 and what we should expect in 2024. I have to be honest, I'm cautiously optimistic about what is to come. 2023 had its fair share of frustrations and wins too. The frustrations included uh, the ICC prosecutor's failure to respond promptly and act decisively when it came to ongoing atrocities in Gaza, in Sudan. Today, in a country like Sudan, General Mohammed Hamdan, popularly known as Hemeti, leader of the powerful paramilitary rapid support forces, a group allegedly behind some of the past and ongoing atrocities in Darfur and Sudan, continues to thrive in power with no arrest warrant issued against him. What message does this send to the victims of some of these atrocities? My hope is that in 2024, we will see the ICC finally play its role and demonstrate to the world that it can hold accountable some of the most highly placed and protected individuals who commit international crimes. Again, perhaps my expectations of the ICC are too high and need to be checked. And this is why some of the positive developments I saw in 2023, for example, the increased use of universal jurisdiction to hold accountable some of the alleged perpetrators of international crimes in the Gambia, in Syria, is a trend that I hope will continue this 2024, especially where domestic, regional, and even international courts like the ICC are unable to act for whatever reason. So another question that we put to everybody was, what are the main things in your diary for 2024? I think it's already looking quite a big year and quite busy. It's looking like a super busy year. Um, if, uh, if I look in my agenda, this, this month we have uh, South Africa-Israel hearings at the ICJ about genocide. We have a ruling on the Hawija bombing in a Dutch court. We have the Al-Hassan judgment at the ICC. 
And we have uh, in the Dutch courts another serial war crimes ruling. So um, lots and lots to cover. And that's just in, in January. In February, we see another big ICJ moment uh, with the advisory opinion case of Israel uh, and the Palestinians. And uh, Molly said uh, that uh, she's at the moment uh, trying to readjust everything uh, in order to be able to, to cover all of these uh, different events. Um, what's in my diary for 2024 that you cannot miss? It is a very recent addition to the calendar. I'm currently scrambling to try to cancel a bunch of other travel um, to be there, but the South African complaint against Israel regarding genocide, um, provisional measures, hearings will be held next week, which is why I'm in a bit of a panic today. But that case will proceed at some point forward on the merits, and I think that that's like a really interesting thing that it will be really nice to see kind of hopefully very serious legal arguments about genocide and what constitutes genocide and what our country's obligations under the genocide convention instead of I think what we've mostly been seeing now which is just a lot of people kind of slinging mud at each other on social media and of course that ICJ uh, Israel genocide case is big for everyone including another friend of the pod and international justice observer based at Utrecht University it is Eva Vukasic who is also uh, going to be following the ICJ South Africa Israel case what will I be following in 2024? First, the ICJ South Africa Israel case, which is moving forward fast, and Israel will be appearing in front of the court. Also, I'll be looking at Ukraine. Um, there have been immense investments in the Ukrainian judiciary and support by donors, and I'm keen to see results. Um, I'll be following how the Ukrainians organize work prioritize cases, conduct investigations, and if they continue um, the in absentia trials, for example. Yeah, we'll also carry on covering uh, Ukraine. I mean, there are plenty of questions to ask about what's actually happening justice-wise there. But maybe some of the other big themes that we're going to try and tackle this year, uh, we're going to try and set up a number of gender-related podcasts this year. And of course, we're going to carry on working on climate change coverage. Leanne is also thinking about uh, how the climate change advisory opinion at the ICJ uh, is important for her in the Philippines. Also relating to the Philippines, we're also closely monitoring, of course, um, the ICJ adv advisory opinion on loss and damage. Um, the Philippines is very much affected by the adverse effects of climate change and we were one of the countries who voted in favor of seeking an advisory opinion. So we are, that's also in my diary for 2024 and the ICJ and because of South Africa's complaint against Israel in the ICJ, whatever the ICJ does in terms of Gaza will also affect on what the ICJ does and anything that will affect the Philippines. I think we are more closely interconnected now than ever before. And of course, we had to ask, what do you think the biggest challenge facing international justice will be in the coming year? And we'll start off with Eva and then go on to Leon. I think that workload and resources are a real issue. That is not news, of course, but I think it is becoming more and more a challenge that the international justice world cannot cope with. Many situations around the world require attention, and yet lately, Ukraine and then Israel and Palestine have been getting most, if not all of it. We must become better at holding attention and resources across situations. 
tied to that is, of course, the perception of consistency and double standards. My fear is that across the world, there is a deep sense of double standards when it comes to international justice. If that is not remedied, I fear it will, in the long run, bury the international justice project. For longevity, it needs credibility. And if the perception of fairness and impartiality is not there, the system will not be perceived as just or necessary outside of the few mostly Western countries who support it, often, and that is the problem, in selective ways and performatively. I think the single biggest challenge to international justice, um, especially in 2024, is credibility. I have seen more questions on how credible international justice is in the last month or two months than I have ever before. And I think we know why. Um, our eyes are all on Gaza and how to hold Israel accountable as well as Hamas accountable or basically how can international justice stop suffering, stop human suffering. It's becoming more relevant to the Philippines now, especially because there is an international criminal court factor into Gaza um, and our consciousness as Filipinos of the International Criminal Court is increasing more and more because we have our own situation um, in the ICC. Um, we have not reached this far in the ICC. It's the first time that a Philippine situation is reaching this far in the ICC. And so if Prosecutor Karim Khan does issue summons or warrant for any Philippine person, Philippine official, the credibility of that warrant or that issuance will depend also on how they act in Gaza. Philippines has a very strong Muslim community. It also has, a, of course, a dominant Catholic community. So even though the Middle East is quite far, we have very much strong cultural and religious connection to what's happening happening in Gaza. So whatever the ICC does in Gaza, its credibility will be affected on how we treat um, the ICC in whatever issuance that they may have. And now here's uh, Sharon Kanda's take, followed by Mark Kirsten. As I've written previously, the glaring double standards in international justice remain a major challenge in this field. Responses to atrocities by states, civil society groups, UN organs, including the UN Security Council, beat on questions around resourcing of investigations and cases that have been filed or need to be filed, has to be guided by shared values to address such crimes, irrespective of where they're committed and who commits them. This will address concerns that have been consistently raised around the hypocrisy of the international justice movement and in turn contribute to building much-needed global support for accountability. The biggest challenges facing international justice in 2024 are the same challenges as they were in 2023 and, and indeed before that. Really, it's keeping up with the demand for accountability, whether it's the ICC or the ICJ or states investigating and invoking universal jurisdiction. There is an extremely significantly high demand for international accountability and justice for international crimes and serious human rights violations. 
the biggest challenge will be keeping up with that demand in an extremely turbulent world where from one day to the next, it's not always clear who is going to be the opponent of international justice. Some days it might be dictatorships, the next day it might be the United Kingdom, United States and Canada. So how these institutions and advocates navigate that will be something to watch out for. And it's always the biggest challenge. And to round it all out, we have Molly at the end. I think the biggest challenge facing international justice in 2024 continues to be relevancy. Um, sometimes it's hard to convince people why these courts matter when you see, for example, the International Court of Justice in The Hague ordering Russia to stop the war and Russia obviously like not listening. Um, I think it becomes harder to sort of explain why people should be paying attention to this stuff and why it matters um, when you see kind of a flagrant disregard for international law. It's very funny that everybody mentions relevancy, double standards, and we've moved on from this conversation of will there be international justice to kind of like, is the international justice that we have actually doing what it's supposed to do? And a number of people, I didn't manage to get all of the comments uh, in, a number of people mentioned the positivity of the number of universal jurisdiction cases there are uh, going on. Mark mentioned that and so did uh, Sharon, but also wondering whether uh, we get sort of more universal jurisdiction happening, not only in Europe, but also in other countries as well. So, uh, yeah, you can really see that the expectations are growing higher, but it's going to be a challenge whether we're going to be able to, to fulfill them. Absolutely, not just work-wise, but yes, it is. It's it is universal jurisdiction is is really ballooning as well, and in a way, it's good. I have more work than ever before, uh, but but uh, we can get stretched pretty thin, can't we? I mean, particularly on this podcast. I mean, we can't, I sometimes feel we're sort of running really hard to to catch up with uh, with stuff. Yeah, because uh, there's so many things that that follow and so many so many new and creative ways to use international justice and I think that's also when you think you've seen it all at the ICJ then suddenly you have this Russia Ukraine genocide case where Ukraine has some complicated not a complicated legal loophole but it's it's really it's a very delicate kind of legal argument because it's not that they're saying that Russia committed genocide but that Russia invoking a genocide to say that that's why they invaded Ukraine that that should then be governed by the genocide convention and I see kind of novel ways of looking at uh, treaties and and jurisprudence that's already there uh, you see a lot of that, and I think that's also really interesting. So I'm sure that 2024 will throw us some new kind of those type of cases where we're like, oh, I never thought of that before, how you're, how you're doing that. Yeah, I think uh, creativity seems to be uh, one of the uh, the watchwords. But uh, finally, I mean, it wouldn't be an Asymmetrical Haircuts podcast without having uh, some of the recommendations that we always ask people uh, on what they've been reading, what they've been listening to or what they've been watching and uh, what they would like to recommend. Uh, I think everyone knows everybody's voices by now, so we're not going to tell you who's who, but uh, basically here's something from everybody. I think I'm finally, for the first time, maybe going to recommend something that is not a book 
I've been listening to a podcast called Midnight Burger. Um, it is about a regular diner that the universe is trying to destroy. And so it bounces around between space and time to sort of avoid its fate, um, taking with it a interesting sort of hodgepodge of employees who kind of get into their own adventures and trouble. It is very entertaining. It's very well done. And it is like a great form of escapism if you're looking for something to avoid all of the things that are going on in international law. Anything I've been watching or reading that I want to recommend, and I would say I've been working my way through the Tana French um, Dublin Murder Squad mysteries, several books in that series, and a friend of mine recommended those as a, as a really good read, just something to take your mind off of things and, and really engaging um, mysteries. So um, that's what I've been reading recently, and I, and I highly recommend. Finally, what am I listening to or watching? Lately, I have been into any panel or podcast that includes Professor Janina Dill from the University of Oxford. She was asked to comment on Israel and Gaza quite a lot in podcasts and panels. She talks about Yusin Bellum, Yusin Bello, rules and protecting civilians, and manages to explain very complicated things in accessible language. So I'm really in awe of her ability to do that. On what I'm listening to, that will have to be a podcast titled Future Perfect by the African Futures Lab, which highlights individual and collective actions across Europe, Africa, and the Americas to defend racial equality and justice. The key interest I have in this podcast is that it covers ongoing debates around reparations for past colonial atrocities. This is a question that we in the international justice space are yet to proactively discuss. But come 2024, I think it's going to be on the table and it is something that we should all follow. Thanks. I really wanted to recommend three books. One, uh, as someone from Canada who's trying to increasingly understand but also tell of the atrocities committed here against Indigenous people, I cannot recommend Michelle Good's truth-telling uh, enough. It, it speaks about the kinds of conversations and it speaks to the kinds of conversations that have to be happening between indigenous peoples and settlers around truth, justice, and reconciliation. The second book is Omar Akkad's What Strange Paradise. I read that in the last year. It's a harrowing, beautiful story of those who are losing their lives, including children trying to leave um, precarious and dangerous and violent situations. Uh, to reach European shores over the Mediterranean. And finally, Alexa Haggerty's Still Life with Bones is a really interesting and important and beautifully written account of someone who is engaging in the process of investigating mass graves. I highly recommend it. It's incredibly, as I said, poetic and beautiful at times. All of these books are remarkable. Um, we live in a very turbulent world, but one of the things that we can always count on is remarkable authors, novelists, etc., uh, bringing us closer to the world we live in and sometimes when we need it, taking us away from them. So that's it for me. Happy, happy 2024. And I'll look forward to listening to the podcast. As always, take good care and all the very best. Uh, it's always good uh, in the new year to have such lovely comments from Mark and our other uh, contributors. Um, but I was wondering, Janet, after all those recommendations, what's been your kind of recommendation in the past month? Yeah, what I've been um, watching or or listening to, 
I spend quite a lot of time currently in the snow uh, walking the dogs and um, I listen to podcasts there and I've been enjoying very much the podcast Empire, which at one point was doing all of the looking at the Russian Empire and different aspects of that. Uh, Previously did slavery as a particular topic. And I just, it's not similar to ours in the sense that millions of people listen to it and not many millions listen to ours, but it's similar in the sense that they focus on experts in a specific area and ask very specific questions in order to, they frame a topic particularly well. And I, I just really enjoy, I enjoy the technicality of it, how well they frame their topic. It's gentle, but it's informative. What about you? I returned to uh, one of my other big uh, kind of special interest topics that I used to be really into, the Aztecs. uh, uh, And uh, I, via the podcast, The Rest is History, came on the book, The Fifth Son, A New History of the Aztecs by Camilla Townsend. So I'm uh, reading up all about the Mexica and the Aztecs. And this is a kind of a uh, new take on the history that we all think we know of how the Aztec Empire fell and whose fault it is and why. And, and this has really, really interesting insights based mostly on Nahuatl codexes. So it's actually looking at the voice of indigenous people in Mexico rather than the Spanish conquerors who gave obviously the Aztec uh, stories a particular twist. So I thought that was really interesting and it's really um good as a, it's it's not my usual escapism zombie fighting uh, vampires uh, literature but it's very nice uh, escapist literature from current conflicts for me as well so that's quite lovely so uh, just uh, let's round up by wishing a happy new year to all of our listeners uh, to everybody who shares the podcast to everybody who recommends it to their students or to others and to everybody really really thank you to everybody for agreeing to take part and to give us your time and answer our questions we really couldn't do it without you and thanks of course also to our regular sponsors justiceinfo.net and humanity hub for the rooms we uh, can record in occasionally and to all our supporters on patreon thanks for the coffees you've brought us they're much appreciated and let us know what topics you want us to deal with in the coming year Great. Yeah. Hope to see people at the uh, the online event. Just a short one uh, towards the end of January. Come um, come over to Patreon to get your invite and uh, see you soon, Steph. I will be in The Hague for some of these extraordinary major things that are all happening in January. That sounds wonderful. We need to have a big cup of coffee and uh, take some nice pictures and uh, hang out in IRL, as my 14 year old would say. Okay, in IRL. Till then, bye. All right, bye. This was Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast. Created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. This episode has been recorded at home, but we'd like to give a shout out to our regular host, Humanity Hub in The Hague. Music is by audionautics.com. And you can find show notes and everything about the podcast on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. This show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.